Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Admiral, um, so what's your assessment of what happened to this ship based on everything you've read and everything you've heard from people uh, around the Navy and the military? Well, your first year at Annapolis, uh, the thing they teach you is never let your flagship blow up. Uh, so this is a pretty bad moment uh, for our Russian friends. Uh, you know, this puts a smile on the admiral's face because it, it, it's a win either way. The Russian army has shown us over the last six weeks they are incompetent and badly led. And it's like the Navy said, wait, hold my beer. Let me show you what we can do and blow up our flagship. <laughs> so uh, that's one explanation is incompetence. Well, the Ukrainians are claiming they blew up the Russians flagship. The Russians are saying, no, they didn't. It exploded on its own. <laughs> okay, is, that, <laughs> is that better or? Wow. Wow. Tough choice. <laughs> no kidding. 
Wow, you can't sink me. I quit or something. <laughs> oh, that's right. Somebody sent us. Oh, can I find that real quick? There it is. Yeah, good, good. Uh, there's a, uh, a poster of the Moskva, which is the name of the big flagship, had 500 guys on him. I mean, that's a big ship. Heroic cruiser Moskva promoted to submarine. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, the Moskva was promoted following a successful intercept of not just one, but two Ukrainian missiles at once. An incredible feat. Long live the motherland, even if it's underwater. <laughs> Promoted that's, a submarine. I that's, love that. That is great. And uh, the big news. So Joe Biden was asked by President Zelensky for more stuff. We said, okay, we'll give you $800 million worth of more stuff, including those helicopters, which are Soviet-made helicopters, but we're giving them those because they already know how to fly them. So the moment they set there, Ukrainian pilots can jump in them and fly them and start killing Russian soldiers, which I am all for. Kill those raping, child-murdering MFers by the dozens. I am all for it. Um, point this out, just because if you haven't heard this context, I mentioned it last week, we have now given, what is it, $4 billion total, a couple billion dollars before the war started, and a couple billion dollars since the war began, which sounds like a very large number. But we were pumping in, in Iraq, at the height of the war, $9 billion a month wow. to fund an army. So in terms of what we can afford to fund when we think it's important, that's a number you should know. Yeah, here, here. You know, one aspect of I've got all sorts of angles of the story we could talk about a skyrocketing food prices, commodity prices worldwide, how that might cause starvation and revolution, particularly in the third world. Um, Finland and Sweden announcing after decades, generations of neutrality, uh, we want to join NATO, or at least we're very, very interested in joining NATO. Uh, which is an amazing move, especially uh, because they both have serious militaries. I don't know that much about the Sweden situation, but I know the Finns are tough people who fought the Soviets back in the 30s. I've seen documentaries on this. It was an amazingly tough and bloody fight in the bitter cold winter. But, man, those people do not screw around. So if they join NATO, that would be pretty significant. But so when when Sweden and, and Finland make noises about joining NATO, Moscow starts uh, rattling their nuclear saber, says there can be no more talk of any nuclear free status for the Baltic. The balance must be restored. And if our hand is forced, take note, it was not us who proposed this, to which Sweden and Finland replied, shut up. There have been nukes in this region. There are nukes here now. Shut up, which I really appreciate. We could use a little more of that out of the White House. I do, too. I appreciate that, too. And uh, I can see why Russia said it, because the last time they said this sort of stuff, we all quaked in our boots, which we shouldn't have. Reuters headline was Russia warns of nuclear deployment if Sweden and Finland join NATO. Okay, we got more bombs than you got. So you want to go there? There way more pushback is needed on 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 Putin, feeling like he's a free hand to do whatever the hell he wants. Well, and I just love the pushback because this uh, defense minister from Lithuania, which is right next door, said the current Russian threats look quite strange when we know that even without the present situation, they keep uh, nuclear weapons about 100 kilometers from Lithuania's border. Nuclear weapons have always been kept in Kaliningrad. The international community, the countries in the region, we're all perfectly aware of this. They use it as a threat. What is that? That Russian threatens, said another diplomat, that's nothing new. It's been it's been a nuclear zone for many years. It's in the Baltic region. We don't know what they're talking about. So apparently Ukraine still has a functioning postal service? 
They surely don't. It doesn't make any difference if they do or not. They did issue the official stamp of the war that Ian Bremmer retweeted, and that's the Ukrainian soldier standing there on the island flipping the bird to a Russian boat. Oh, I love that. Basically saying F you to Russia. That's their official stamp in the country of Ukraine now. That is fantastic. Can I buy 500 bucks worth if it'll get them some bullets? Right. Meanwhile, and I'm loving all this talk and the jocularity around it, because it feels good to punish those bastards, those murderous bastards. There's some awful, awful stuff happening, uh, being revealed and still happening on a daily basis that the, the Russians are doing in all these towns where there aren't journalists. And then eventually journalists get in there and you see the horror of what they're doing and just... Just it's mind blowing. As as Easter weekend comes, I think it's uh, it's it's got to be a time where if you're a a true believer, you're really struggling with the why does God allow this to happen? Question that has is as old as human beings, um, the Book of Job or whatever. And if you're, 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 you're not religious, you're probably thinking, yeah, I don't know what you people are doing. You've seen what's happened in Ukraine? Uh, obviously, there is no loving God that gives a crap about those people. I don't know how you square all those things, but it is. Uh, I think that will be on a lot of people's minds uh, Friday through Sunday with all these church services. Well, I don't care if you're a Catholic or a Baptist or an atheist or a Jew or whatever. Can we all agree there is and always has been evil? There has always been evil in the world, and it is the duty of good people to fight against it the best we can. You know, I've been reading Matt Taibbi. i got to go back to the article. Uh, he's one of my favorite, and I suggest, if you have the time for this, I suggest everybody have somebody you think highly of who you disagree with a significant amount of the time. Uh, it's just good for your brain. It, it makes your ideas stronger if if they have to wrestle against other ideas. And and I frequently disagree with Matt Taibbi, but I think he's brilliant. I think he's funny. And when he's right, he's very, very right. Um, and he was writing about, and I wish I had it in front of me, but he was comparing the post-9-11 era in which uh, the United States, to a large extent, uh, and a lot of the people uh, went crazy with the idea that Anything was justified to take on the coming uh, Islamo-fascist, uh, you know, war, the war for the globe. Um, and, and some of it was justified. Some of it was not. You had, uh, you know, the NSA running wild and listening into America's conversations and, and surveilling Americans in the way that they shouldn't. You had people's uh, civil rights being suspended. You had torture at Gitmo, whatever. Um, and again, I'm, I'm giving you a grab bag. Some of the stuff you may still approve of, some not. Spent trillions of dollars. Tried to turn Iraq into a Jeffersonian democracy. Just way crazy. And in retrospect, we should have been a little measured. And he's saying, look, what's happening with Russia right now is horrific and, and ugly and, and, and it's just, it's disgusting and repulsive to any thinking, feeling human being. Let's not go crazy. Let's not court nuclear warfare. Let's not start a world war that will kill tens of millions. Let's have a little perspective in advance. And be careful and not listen to some of the same hacks in Washington, D.C., who, for instance, dragged us us into the Iraq War. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll, uh, I'll highlight that and bring it to you tomorrow or something like that. The other side of that argument, also said by smart people, is that Putin is going to keep going until 
we have to do the sorts of things you're talking about, and we'll be in the same spot. Mm-hmm. So why let him murder all these people, take over these countries, when we're going to end up in the same spot? Absolutely a valid argument. And the, the kind of pushback that Putin's gotten, I don't know if that's changed his calculation or not. You would certainly think it would. His calculation before was, well, I went into Georgia and Crimea and nobody really did anything. It was a story for like a day. Nobody did anything, so I can do this and nobody will do anything. But people have done something to a great level. So whether or not he still thinks that if he takes Ukraine, he can push further, I have no idea. It would be committed, a- committed horrifying atrocities in Syria, too, just to check that one off the list. Yeah, but the, but one of the differences, for instance, with Syria and Ukraine, Ukraine was a functioning, uh, you know, actual uh, economy and democracy, though it had lots of... Uh, corruption that's why they elected Zelensky to try to do with that but it was a functioning country mm-hmm. there was no driving we, we we would have been bogged down like Iraq and Afghanistan if we tried to drive the Russians and Assad out of Syria okay so congratulations you now have a completely messed up country with no history of democracy or anything like that what are you right. going to do with it whereas you drive the Russians out of Ukraine okay you can have it back run your thing that's a completely different situation isn't it well, and hate him or not, Assad in the regime in Syria has been in charge of Syria for many decades. Right, that's my so point. So it's a completely different situation. Yeah, yeah. same with uh, with same with Saddam Hussein. So you're not so you're going to drive the bad guy out, and now what? Stay there long enough for them create to create from scratch a completely different culture and society? Well, you don't need to do that in Ukraine. You just got to get the Russians out of there. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've uh, I would love to teach history. I know you would too. I think I would probably be heaved out on my ear by the end of week one because I would say something that would offend the snowflakes and/or the administration. But you know, one one thing I would like to help the kids understand is that virtually every major uh, you know pivotal moment in history, there have been two sides yeah. to the question. Right. And and often history is taught or I don't know the way it's written makes it seem like only a lunatic would have opposed what turned out to be the majority view or the view that won the World War or whatever. Well, sure, yeah, the greatest generation that we all appropriately uh, give credit to for beating back the Nazis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we joined the war late 41. It had been going on for several years with our closest allies being taken over completely in some cases. Right, right, by the irredeemable Nazi horde, no less. Um. I do want, want, speaking of the big questions of life, I want to get to this new story about when life began on Earth. They've pushed back the timeline by hundreds of millions of years, which could have some major fallout in terms of what you believe about everything. Uh, Stay tuned for that and other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Show. Our man is in a bar drinking. He gets so drunk that he pukes all over his shirt. And he goes up to the bartender and goes, I- I'm in trouble now. When, when my wife finds out I got so drunk, I puked on my shirt, she'll kill me. The bartender says, don't worry about it. Look. 
Here's what you do. You take a $10 bill and put it in your shirt pocket. Then you go home to your wife, say, some other guy got drunk and he puked on your shirt. And he said, I'm sorry, here's $10 to have it cleaned. And he goes, I'll try that. And he goes back to his wife and he goes, I was in the bar, a guy puked on my shirt and gave me this $10 here to have it cleaned. And the wife looks and she goes, he gave me a $20. And he goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, he also in my pants. <laughs> Wow. That's an old joke. <laughs> ah, the late great Gilbert Gottfried. So I liked him all right. I mean, I got nothing against him, uh, but I was I was not a huge fan. So whatever. Um, different people have different tastes. Like Norm Macdonald, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Gilbert Gottfried. I was just like, hey, if he's on, I'll watch him. But I didn't know this. So Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller did an interview just a couple days ago and said being in the room with, they were close friends apparently, being in the room with Gilbert equaled to being in a room with Miles Davis with his wow. freewheeling improvisational talents. I had I did not have that reading of his level of skill, but, you know, other comedians did, so I'll take their word for it. Um, uh, uh, Gillette also said that uh, Gilbert was even less politically correct among his friends, of course we all are, and asked what some of his jokes were. He said, well, he had some trans stuff that if I said it, I would get fired, you would get fired, everybody listening now would get fired. (laughs) So apparently that's not a good idea. And one of the last things Gilbert Gottfried told him was they were having a discussion about how much attention Bob Saget got, also a friend of theirs, Bob Saget got when he died. And Gilbert Gottfried said, I'd like to beat Saget. Saget got six days of headlines after he's di- after he died, but I think I can get three. So <laughs> as he was talking about like twenty minutes before he died, actually, because they pulled the respirator. Wow, wow, wow! Didn't know he was that level of talent, but you know, I was never around him. So yeah, interesting. He's a cartoon mm. voice for most of my kids. Not so he- not most of my kids. I have two. Mm. He's mostly a cartoon voice for my kids. That's the way to word that sentence. Now I get it. So, Most of my kids. That's hilarious. Gilbert Gottfried dead, but life very old on Earth, you so, say. This just across the science desk. They've identified the oldest fossils on Earth dating back much earlier than previously. So the Earth is about 4 billion years old. I don't know if you know that. The universe is about 13.8 billion years old but earth's about four billion years old and this moves life back about 300 million years very close to the beginning you know they're guessing a little bit on this stuff so it's possible that life existed almost instantly with the formation of earth which changes a lot of people's beliefs about and we're talking bacteria i mean very very early not sophisticated life like they didn't find a cell phone in a hat or something um Uh, but it changes in the likelihood that there's life on other planets. And how does that come together when you got, you know, all these different carbon particles and everything cooling and coming together in a sphere, all that? Why did life start almost immediately? They now believe nobody knows. 
And what was the great spark of life? And I Nobody understand that our religious uh, listeners say, well, God is. But, yeah, God uses physical means to create what he creates. So what was that that means? Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't get to my fascinating shark notes, but uh, I will tell you this. My daughter, who's crazy into sharks, sent this to me. Sharks existence on Earth are older than the rings around Saturn. So don't kill them. They're valuable beasts. Very, very old is what you're saying. Old AF. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It is a prevalent mind virus and um, arguably one of the biggest threats to modern civilization. So do, do we want a humorless society that is simply rife with condemnation and hate, basically? At, at its heart, wokeness is divisive, um, exclusionary, um, and hateful. Elon Musk, world's richest man, really worried about wokeness, says it's one of or the greatest threat to modern civilization, and he's attempting to buy Twitter, which has got a lot of woke in it, Twitter does. He, if you haven't heard this story, he's offered up $43 billion, roughly, to 100% just flat out buy Twitter and take it private. Uh, Twitter said he is, they have received his offer and will decide whether it is in the best interest of shareholders to accept or continue to operate as a publicly traded company. I, I, I don't know anything about the SEC rules and all these different sorts of things, but he is offering significantly more than the value of the company has been. So I don't know how they would possibly make the argument that, no, we're not going to sell. It's not in the best interest of our shareholders, because they'd be making a good profit on, on their investment. If I'm a shareholder, I know what my opinion is. Go for the bucks, please. And uh, the people inside Twitter were really worried last week that he was just going to be on the board and influence it. Twitter, Twitter employees, I can't work for a company that we're the biggest shareholders, Elon Musk. So somehow he has become, he already was a little bit, but he really has become in the last week kind of the, the scary right winger. I don't see Elon Musk as right wing, but not woke, not Twitter right. left. He's not that. And uh, so he, I have, I'm, I'm kind of interested in where this goes. If he ends up being kind of the poster child for um, who you're scared of on the left, and what that does to Tesla, which has always been the car of greens, of rich liberals. Yeah, yeah, wow, it is interesting on so many levels. I mean, he, uh, I appreciate what he said about wokeness. I think he's absolutely correct. It will return us to a pre-intellectual time where you just must utter the correct magical incantations or you will be thrown in prison. Um, and logic be damned. I think it's revealing that uh, Max Boot of the Washington Post, one of their columnists, said, I'm frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk requires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less, meaning more censorship. And Max Boot is more than happy to be the guy to do it. How can you, as a as a smart guy like Max Boot, write with a straight face that sentence? Well, he's become convinced that 
the marketplace of ideas must be carefully controlled by him and people, his ideological brethren, to keep people safe from dangerous ideas because they're too stupid to process them. What was that he exactly said? We got too much free speech or whatever? What did he just say? Well, yeah, the he said that... Um, I'm frightened by the impact on society if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not okay, less. That's it. That's the sentence. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, which, as you said, is just a different way of saying censorship. So for democracy mm-hmm. to survive, we need more censorship. How do you write right. that with a straight face? Because you have the stunning and sickening hubris of those who would wield the power of censorship. And that's been, that's happened on the right and the left throughout history. And, and history always looks back unkindly on those people. And yet those, these people have the hubris. That's, there's no other word for it to say, Oh, no, 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 no. That awesome and horrible power that's gone wrong every time it's been used. I am so wise and so wonderful. I should be trusted with it. How dare you? You're a sicko. Well, old school lefty, not Twitter lefty, Bill Maher was on Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday talking about Twitter, for instance. And Bill Maher using the horrifying example that we weren't allowed to have a discussion about where COVID came from. Twitter wouldn't allow anybody to pursue the lab leak. And Bill Maher talking about how awful that is, that the mm-hmm. people weren't able to you know, go back and forth with their evidence to try to get to the truth. Twitter just decided at the beginning, Jack Dorsey, decided at the beginning what the right answer was. I'm not even going to allow any other conversation about this. That's terrible. Thanks, Twitter. Well, right. You know, here I am evoking the uh, the last 2,000 years to explain why Max Boot is out of his freaking mind. Never mind the last 2,000 years. How about the last two years? I mean, the examples from Hunter Biden's laptop to the lab leak theory to a dozen other examples. It, it, you people, you're not even good at censoring in the last two weeks. And yet you're saying you should have this awesome power. Oh, my God, I hate these people. That's hate speech right there. Now, so offering up 40-some billion dollars, even when you're the world's richest man, is a chunk of money because he's worth $280 billion, But that's a pretty big chunk of your total worth you're throwing at Twitter. And and if if Elon runs it and it becomes more, uh, you know, less the Twitter left um, and more everything, does the value of it, do people, do all those people on the left abandon it? He might end up buying the company for $43 billion, and it's worth $15 billion in a month. Oddly enough, he was suggesting that himself. I was mostly just harassing Jack earlier today when I kept bringing up the fact that uh, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift haven't tweeted much lately. But Elon Musk brought it up himself. He tweeted the other day, most of these top accounts tweet rarely and post very little content. Is Twitter dying? And he has the top 10, Barack Obama, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, Rihanna, Cristiano, the uh, the great soccer player, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Elon Musk, uh, somebody I've never heard. Oh, Narendra Modi, the uh, prime minister of uh, India, and The Ellen Show, Ellen DeGeneres. Top 10 accounts on Twitter, they rarely tweet. For instance, he says, uh, Taylor Swift hasn't posted anything in three months, and Justin Bieber tweeted once this entire year. Now, never mind the whole... You know, just from a business perspective, given how important brand management is for all these celebs, 
you've got to think it's significant that not only they, but their people haven't bothered to even tweet anything. Well, I think they were on Twitter several years back when it was not as political or people didn't perceive it to be as... Well, I think Twitter now, uh, it's just a political thing. It's it's and a bitter, hateful one. Bitter, hateful politics is is what yeah. Twitter is. Not where I find out what Justin Bieber thinks about his latest album. That that that's the way I look at it. Um, and uh, Elon makes a pretty good point there. But so so he's offered up forty some billion dollars to buy something that he thinks is becoming less relevant, or is because it's become so political. He's well, he said he doesn't trust the management to make Twitter what it ought to be, and he thinks he can fix it. So he sees a uh, a home to flip, a business to revitalize and sell, that sort of thing. He thinks he can cure it. Going to take it private. Interesting. And Twitter's got to decide fast whether or not they're going to sell to him. I don't know what argument they would use for not selling to him. Yeah, I actually had a friend who was in the business of, uh, I guess they call them turnaround specialists, a promising business that's being poorly run. And you fix it and sell it. So that's what he wants to do with Twitter. I don't know enough about the law. Tim Sandifer, who knows a lot about freedom, was complaining in a retweet earlier today that why do we have any laws in place, anti-capitalist laws, that Elon just can't flat out buy the thing. If he can, if he can afford to buy all the shares, he can buy all the shares and take it private if he wants to. Right, right. But apparently yeah. we have laws in place that don't allow him to do that. Oh, my gosh, I just came across what is one of my favorite tweets of all time. Neil Ferguson, the uh, historian, writer, a friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, tweeted, Several years ago, Elon Musk described Twitter to me as a, quote, clown show crashing into a gold mine. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah. Huh. And it's getting a lot of attention. Well, Twitter would... uh, Is there any reason that this isn't true, that Twitter could be changing like in days? Greatly? It, it could be. And that woke maniac who's in charge of it since Starvin' Jack Dorsey went out the door, um, he'll be gone. Gone, gone, gone that day. Hallelujah. Of course, Elon will immediately have the problem of what do you allow and what don't you allow. Which, remember years ago, we, we played the, uh, the conversation from that Facebook was having and how difficult it is. Because I'm a free-for-all guy, but nobody says that and actually means it. Because you would never allow child porn. Okay, we won't allow right. child porn. Mm-hmm. Define child porn. And then you start getting into breastfeeding. And, and what's breastfeeding? And at what age do you not count? What, at what age does it go from breastfeeding video till it's kind of weird? It's a sexual thing. I mean, all those decisions have to be made. Yeah, I wish we could come across that again. Because that's one of my favorite things I've ever heard on our show. It was just so so, number one, it was a clown show, uh, and and number two, it revealed some pretty interesting subtleties of uh, pornography, censorship, etc. Violence the same way. Do we mm. want on Twitter horrifying videos of uh, what the Russians have done in Ukraine? Abso-freaking-lutely. Okay, then how, where do you start drawing the line with a different country that's doing things to other people? And, and what you know, how, how do you decide which violence is okay and which is not? Or how about uh, you have young uh, uh, fellows, generally urban people, who decide it's funny to smash innocent people in the face and knock them unconscious and post that video on Twitter. Right. Yeah. It gets complicated fast. Mm -hmm. I'm sure uh, Elon has people. 
Although, as I found out a couple of weeks ago, talking to a guy when I was looking at buying a car, um, this guy had interviewed at the highest levels of, of uh, Tesla. Elon like made those decisions himself. So maybe he'll make the decisions on Twitter himself. Maybe he won't farm it out. I don't know. Wow, when does he sleep? Uh, he barely does. Remember when he was doing the thing about how he was almost killing himself? He was sleeping like in the office at Tesla there for a while, going days without sleep. He's a nut. Hmm. A very, very wealthy nut. We will finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Um, we were just talking about uh, Twitter and how it's such an ugly place, and so many people who just want to like share opinions and thoughts that used to on Twitter now they're on Instagram, Snapchat, all those other different things that are just that that aren't as political. From what I understand, I'm not on them, uh, but they're, I don't get the sense that they're as ugly as Twitter. Twitter is ugly, ugly, ugly place to be, and I don't know what's going to happen with Elon attempting to buy it. Um, certain we'll be talking about it in the coming days. Oh, oh, oh I'll tell you this. Uh, I understand two o'clock Pacific today, uh, all hands on deck Twitter meeting to discuss with the terrified woke employees what all this means and, and what might happen and if Elon Musk is going to take over. Well, if all the employees quit, all, you've definitely got a different company that you've taken over. Right, right. What is I that? Just, is there an SEC law around that? I buy a company worth a certain amount of money because it's what it is, and everybody there quits. <laughs> right. So it's no longer what I bought. It's a building and a name, but it's the, the people are all gone. Yeah, I, I, that's true. It's a good point, but I just I'm I'm more delighted than I ought to be by the thought of all these precious little snowflakes peeing themselves in fear over the evil Elon Musk coming right, to town. Right. <laughs> yeah. What a benign threat Elon seems to be. Oh. I would love to be that kind of wealthy where if something annoys you, you can change it. I'm watching the NBA playoffs. What the freak is a foul in the NBA? I'm sitting there on my couch as the world's richest man. I think that's it. Get on the phone, buy the NBA. This is what a foul is now, all right? This is what a foul is. And you call him every time. I don't care how big a star he is. A foul is this. That's what I would do if I was the world's richest man. I love it. Love it. <laughs> So yesterday, I'm driving home on the freeway, and uh, traffic gets all jammed up, and it's kind of weird, because usually this time of day, that doesn't happen. I'm not in stop-and-go traffic, and uh, I'm in a Tesla, thanks, Ela, and flip on the automatic driving, so I'm scanning through the Twitter and everything like that while the car's driving in traffic, and um, eventually, I get up to the front of it, and I see cop car lights, and I think, well, there must be a wreck or something with this Really slow-moving, jammed-up traffic. Because right in front of it, the freeway is wide open, so it's one of those deals. Mm -hmm. Must be a wreck. No. I get up there, and the highway patrolman is creeping along, and right in front of him is a mother duck and five tiny little ducklings following Mama Duck down the freeway. Oh, my. And he is going behind the duck... But every once in a while, the duck kind of moves over to this lane. So he has to have his flip on his lights, and he moves over to this lane. On one of the most major highways in America, Interstate 80, might run through the state you're in right now, and uh, and gazillions of cars and commerce and everything else that's going on. And I understand why he did it, but thank you for the duck sounds, Michael. Really, really... Like brings to mind ducks. Yeah, theater of the mind. Theater of the mind, yes, exactly. We're painting a picture. I can understand why he did it. It was uh, like a, 
it's it's called the causeway where we are, but it's a, an elevated cement thing with rails that goes over wetlands. And somehow the du- ducks got out of the wetlands and onto the freeway and probably couldn't figure out their way on and uh, to get back to the wetlands. And I'm sure the highway patrolman was thinking, I can't hold up traffic forever, but I also can't just like say, oh, the hell with it and move out of the way and let these baby ducklings get run over. Oh, no, no. I wonder what he eventually did. I, I, of course, got past it and then took off on home, but I thought there's several more miles of this to go. This could take half hour, 45 minutes. I don't know how long it's going to take with many, many, many people's lives being disrupted by the mama duck and the baby. And you, you can't really scoop them up. I don't think. And well, and what if the lovely the wetlands? Or, what if the lovely Mrs. Duck gets like three quarters of the way down the causeway, then decides she's make a made a wrong turn, starts going back the other I've way? I've made could a be terrible hours. mistake. I'm turning around. Yeah, exactly. kids this way, kids. <laughs> yeah, it was cuter than heck though. Those tiny little ducks just following mom wherever you go. I'm getting really thirsty, mom, but I'm sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you got to stop ta- how, uh, traffic for ducklings. I wonder how that turned out. Did he follow the? Did they get all the the way to the end of the? walled off part and the ducks took a right and headed to the wetlands or did he eventually just shoot them? I don't know. It's did, did you just actually say or did he just shoot them? I doubt it. A net would be a good idea. Some sort of net, maybe. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Why not a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day? There he is, our technical director, Michelangelo. Michael, lead us off. Yeah, earlier in the show, we were talking about somebody having a baby naming business. And my parents were very poor, so they had $2. They went to a 7-Eleven. There was a guy behind the counter. They asked for a name. He pointed to the guy mopping the floors and said, Michael. And so here I am today, Michael. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. Alex, final thought? I enjoyed the good kicking we gave the Dodgers today, but my final thought is unrelated. Our break room is a bit of an enigma. There was seven sacks of hard-boiled eggs in there, which looked grotesque two days ago. They're all gone. I think someone ate 14 boiled eggs in two days. <laughs> no. <Not> concerned. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Wow. Jack, a final thought for us. Funny thing about hunting. Duck hunting is a thing. In that area, lots of oh, people yeah. shoot ducks all the time. But I <laughs> mentioned the idea of the policeman shooting the duck, and it's all the horror. <laughs> kind of interesting. Cops shooting ducklings with handguns? Nobody does that. Sick. My final thought was I was getting ready for the uh, the show early, early in the morning and uh, came across something that I thought would be really enlightening. And it was kind of a graphic and all. And so I did something I've never done before on my uh, my computer here. I hit the print screen button, wondering what would happen. And? Nothing happened. Oh. Nothing happened whatsoever. I don't... Does it work? Does it not work? Is there a command? Is, do I press control something? I don't know. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. I'll touch it again if you like. Uh, so many people to thank. How many times have I said that? <laughs> so many people to thank. So little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. you find some fabulous swag. You can download the podcast. If you missed a chunk of the show, listen to it later. That's fine. Uh, email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. And the hot links are there, too. Lots of great clicks for you. Yep. We'll have a big show full of fun and, and torment tomorrow. See you then. God bless America. 
Armstrong and Getty. And I think we should recognize the jackassery we often see around here. Wait, hold my beer. Let me show you what we can do. I liked beer. Still like beer. Wait, I might get this wrong. It isn't hard to do. I know. That, that's not a good idea. And boom goes the dynamite. Take care. Wear your mask. Okay. Like I said, we're here to win. And that uh, this was the right choice. I mean, that's saying something quite strong. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.